Welcome to this episode of Outspoken Oncology. I am your host, Chadi Nabhan, and I'm a hematologist and medical oncologist with interest in all aspects of healthcare delivery, treatment, leadership, mentorship, and policy. Today's podcast is a treat, hopefully, to uh, those of you who are uh, been following social media and especially Twitter. I have two gurus of social media, both physicians, Dr. John Mandrola, a cardiologist, and Dr. Saurabh Jaha, a radiologist. I asked them to come in the podcast because I was rather struck with kind of similar reaction to two tweets that they both had, uh, and they're rather different. One had a funny tweet and the other had a serious tweet, but really the reaction of Met Twitter and readers uh, was almost the same. They were really bashed on social media, and I really wanted to talk to them about the reaction. Why do they think this happened? Why is there such a strong reaction on Twitter and on social media anytime you post something that could be viewed contrarian to the views of most people on social media? Uh, in fact, Saurabh Jeha's post was rather funny, I thought, uh, but it was not perceived as, uh, as funny. Uh, I'll tell you what Saurabh posted. It was a tweet on July 27th, 2020, and what he posted. So, today I rejected a paper because it had, quote, in times of COVID-19, unquote, in the first paragraph. That tweet received 206 retweets and 1,247 likes and countless comments that were really rather, you know, not very friendly, frankly. The other one was John Mandrola tweeted on uh, August 23rd, 2020, at 6.25 a.m. Doctors excel at treating people with disease. That's our calling. Political activism is fine, but it ought be done only as private citizens. I agree with Dr. Satel, who actually wrote something in an outlet uh, to the same effect. That tweet received 318 likes and 415 retweets and a lot of backlash. I invited both guests on the podcast to describe the experience, to talk about what happened, and really to try to dissect the problem, because I do think maybe there is a problem. Let's talk about it, and let's try to design a path forward. I hope you enjoy this unfiltered discussion with Saurabh Jeha and John Mandrola. And frankly, if you've ever listened to Saurabh Jeha on this podcast or other podcasts, you will know it's always unfiltered. Before I air the podcast, which we aired for context on Friday, uh, September 4th, 2020, before the beginning of Labor Day weekend, I'd like to plug the show by asking you to find us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, all podcast outlets that you could possibly find. Please give us the number of stars you believe we deserve and write a brief review. Send a comment and let me know how we are doing on the show. And without further ado, the gurus of social media, Drs. John Mandrola and Saurabh Jeha, exclusively on the Outspoken Oncology Podcast. All right, folks, where well, it's really, uh, I'm in and you are in for a treat uh, today on the Outspoken Oncology. I have uh, two amazing colleagues and influential social media gurus both physicians. Uh, one actually does something by curing the heart, Dr. John Mandrola. The other one sits in a dark room, does absolutely have no idea what, Dr. Saurabh Jeha. One is in Kentucky and the other is in Philadelphia. Saurabh, welcome to the show. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Charlie. I just want to say that most of my job is trying to tell John when he screwed up. <laughs> he went into the esophagus instead of the left atrium. That's <laughs> I exist because John is imperfect. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Chadi. Uh, you know, John, this is, you know, just you thought you're going to come in and uh, talk. I mean, we're here to boost your uh, ego. Don't worry. Don't worry. Oh, my gosh. So really, uh, guys, I've asked you actually today, we're not going to talk science. Uh, we're not going to talk x-rays. We're not going to talk heart. We're not going to talk AFib. We're really going to talk about something that I noticed as one of your uh, avid fans and followers on social media. 
about uh, you both had the same experience. In fact, I had a similar one, but at much, much lower scale. But you both had a similar experience with two different kinds of tweets. The way I would say that uh, Saurabh um, tweeted something a few weeks ago that was funny, I thought, was very humorous, was one of his moods when he wanted to joke, and um, had a very strange reaction on Twitter. We'll talk about this. John tweeted something was serious, actually, was not necessarily funny, was really talking about a, a subject that was important and serious. And he also had a very kind of similar reaction to a serious tweet. So I have a funny tweet and a serious tweet, but the reaction was the same. So I wanted to bring you both to talk about this because as an observer, it honestly shocked me uh, and I was very surprised. So I'm gonna start with you, Saurabh. Um, I actually pulled that uh, out and this was a tweet that you wrote on July 27th, 2020. So it's been four weeks and you wrote, and I quote, so today I rejected a paper because it had, quote, in times of COVID-19, unquote, in the first paragraph. That was 3.23 p.m. on July 27, 2020. Tell me what led you to write this. Were you trying to be funny, humorous, or you being silly? Because after that, it, all hell broke loose for Saurabh Jeha. Yeah, you know, I'm mostly on Twitter to express my silliness and to absorb other people's silliness. So I tweet things that are silly, but not always funny, you know, with my jokes. My wife laughs, laughs at about 20% of my jokes. That's about, you know, the highest yield I get these days. But she knows that I'm joking. And a lot of people know that I'm joking because if you are, if you seriously have rejected a paper because of that one sentence, I think you'd have to be a total idiot to broadcast that. And sometimes extreme idiocy, if it's believed, the joke is on you, not on me. So I don't blame people for finding that not funny. It could have been silly, it could be like, oh my God, this guy's trying to be funny. But for the people that thought that I was being serious, I'm sorry, you were the idiot. So the joke was just to, um, well, it wasn't really a joke, a lot of things, meaning it wasn't real, but a lot of things are said because they express the sentimentality of the moment. Every single bloody paper has in times of COVID. It's as if the world didn't exist before COVID and now it just exists for COVID. Everything you do in times of COVID. It actually reminds me of the time of Obamacare. In times of high value care, in these unprecedented times of value-based care, no, you idiot, there's nothing unprecedented about this time. It's like every other time. And quite honestly, uh, when people think in times of this, in times of that, they assume that all history has condensed to this moment. It hasn't. There's a history of the world before this and there'll be history of the world after this, and nothing new, as the preacher said in the Ecclesiastes, is under the sun. And if people realize that, they'll stop getting their knickers in a twist and excited about various things. Anyway, so I said that a bunch of people, you know, laughed. A few didn't. There were a few likes, a few retweets. Uh, and um, then I went to sleep. And the next morning, there's this chap from India that DM'd me. Actually, didn't DM me. He WhatsApp me. He said, you seem to have a bipolar response on people. Some love you, some hate you. So I looked at my notification and there were like, you know, over a thousand. Oh, no, shit, I've become popular. Guess what? How the hell did that happen? And I started going through the, uh, you know, the um, comments. And the first two or three kind of shocked me. People saying, oh, this guy, he's a jerk, he's this, he's that. I'm like, all right, okay. Then after the fifth or sixth, I started laughing. I started laughing my head off. Well, this is hilarious. Uh, there was one particular guy, I think his name was Data Driven MD. And he said, look, he's got on his profile, seldom right, but never wrong. He's the antithesis to uh, knowledge. And I just thought, this is hilarious. Meanwhile, my colleagues in Britain were looking at academic Twitter from America erupting and just thinking these guys, they're parody. Not only do they, they elect 
somebody that was an idiot. But they, they don't even know a joke when there's a joke. So the American academic Twitter made a total ass of itself by taking what I said seriously. It was really hilarious. There was one guy from my residency, from my, uh, his residence, poor chap, you know, he's trying to defend me. He said, look, he's joking. And somebody said, look, he's not joking. Because at the very next sentence, he says, I only read the first paragraph. See, he said it. That's why it's true. He said it, he said it himself. Like, oh my God, you genius. Oh, you really got me there. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 thing, the whole thing was just so hilarious. We're going to go over some of these reactions because I want to actually dissect some of them more. Uh, but, and, and I think I agree that some of them are actually hilarious. So hold that thought because I'm going to go through a few of them specifically. John, you weren't joking. You actually were addressing a little bit of a rather of a serious matter, actually. You were commenting on some article and uh, take us through, you know, I mean, you're, you're very prolific and, and I'll admit you're one of the most thoughtful um, cardiologists that I've told people. If I'm sick, I will call you and ask you about what, what I would do. So tell me what made you write this and then how everything blew up as well, uh, but in a different way than Sora. Yeah, sure. Um, so Chadi, I, I am... I'm really struck by the, I mean, it sort of gets to the humorless sort of climate we're in, but one of the things that strikes me as a, as a, someone who likes to think about issues is how we've been unable to have a conversation, um, you know, a, a, a sort of a calm conversation. It just seems like it's so polarized. So in the last few years, I've really come to believe that being a doctor is a really good job. It's, it's really good because we help people. We're, we're really good at one thing. We, we take care of people. We treat people with disease. And so I read this article uh, on this new newsletter called Persuasion, which I, which I subscribe to because I love the concept of persuasion. And so I, I just commented on this article and I just wrote that we doctors excel at treating people. It's our calling and that political activism is totally fine and be politically active if you want, but it ought to be done as private citizens. And I agreed with the tenets of the article. And basically what this doctor wrote is that, you know, everybody's against racism, it's fine. We should increase diversity within medicine. We don't need studies to show us that's beneficial. That's just a good thing. We don't need to worry, we don't need to prove it. And then we should, ex really understand the social determinants of health. And of course, I take care of patients who have challenges and that's important. But where we fall apart a little bit is that when we think that our MD gives us some special uh, provenance over social issues and that we can affect you know, health like in a, in a global sense. And, and of course we can, but I sort of believe that it was uh, that we can make the world a better place by being better physicians and, and doing what we do. And of course, we can be politically active and try and move the needle. But I don't believe that being a doctor gives us any you know, special uh, ideas on how to improve the world. For, for instance, if I see a black patient who lives in an underprivileged neighborhood, a difficult neighborhood, and his social determinants of health are clearly contributing to his heart problem, access to healthcare, affordable medicines, places to exercise, good food. I mean, I can identify that problem. I do identify that problem. But when I go to the Capitol to tell my senator or my representatives that I'm seeing a lot of these uh, problems, her or his response is gonna be, okay, doc, that's great. What's your solution for improving this? And I don't know what the best solution is. Is it Bernie Sanders? Is it Elizabeth Warren? Is it, God forbid, Hayek's approach and free market? I mean, I don't know. And so I don't know how one uh, voice of doctors can speak for all. And that's what I was getting at with this tweet. That's really very good. You know, uh, by the way, John, I went back in my records of the podcast and Saurabh will get a kick out of this because I literally to this day, I had him on the podcast a year ago it was Labor Day last year when we talked about the Lancet editorial 
they were discussing Kashmir and we had the same exact thing. And I'll admit, I went into that podcast, was not convinced with Sarap's point and towards the end, uh, he was able to convince me with the exact point that you're actually mentioning. Were you expecting the reaction, John, that was because also all hell broke loose? No, no, no. I was just, you know, reading, uh, I think it was a Saturday or Sunday morning. I tweeted, I went for a couple hour bike ride. I come back, there was like a hundred things. And then all of a sudden, I mean, it was even more, I don't know how many in the end, but hundreds and hundreds of responses. I mean, most of which were just, just so surprising in their sort of, I don't know, I guess in their jump to conclusions about who I was as a person and what my intentions were. And um, yeah, so I learned, a, I learned a lesson and you know, you called us experts of social media. And I think the better description is that we were early adopters of social media. I learned that I was no longer an expert, despite any lectures I've given on social media, I was no longer an expert on uh, uh, social media because I was just schooled and, and uh, I learned a tremendous amount. Sadly, I, 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 I became more uh, pessimistic about um, our ability to have conversations and, and, and persuasion and debate. It's, it's, it, was, it was shocking, really. So I, I mean, I think, I think you, so both you've had that experience and I wanna hone in on a, some of the responses that personally, literally shocked me. I mean, literally shocked me. Uh, because I think they go to, into this dialogue and conversation. So, Sarab, I'll go back to you. Help me understand, we both, I've lived here for 30 years. How would your tweet that you just said, in the times of COVID, you rejected the manuscript, which clearly for people who know you, they know your sense of humor. I thought it was hilarious. I mean, it was so funny. But how did this translate into people suddenly lecturing you about social issues, and few of them accused you of racism and being even white supremacist. Like how did in the times of COVID becomes to, to this? Like, I don't even understand the link. Can you understand it? No, I can't understand it, but I can entirely, uh, I, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised because this is how people behave these days. And what happens is that you have certain influences. In my case, it was a couple of very famous virologists, epidemiologists, one who ironically wrote a book saying how to spot bullshit, who couldn't spot my own bullshit, but he later apologized <laughs> to his uh, credit. Uh, another very famous virologist who I later said, you made my tweet tweets are, are not go viral. And she was like, oh, somebody's trying to be funny. And I was like, you know, mate, at least you now pick up that I'm trying to be funny. I think what you've got over here is you've got this baseline self-righteousness amongst physicians and people in healthcare, and that is always bubbling and coming to the surface. It's no different it, categorically to people in the olden days that were very religious and moralistic and puritanical, except where people used to be puritanical about things like sex and but mainly sex. Now it's all about epidemiology and R naught and being nice to people that have spent their time writing a paper. So the 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 the, the Newtonian forces haven't changed. The same morality that you had when you when you had the um, people with the pitchforks in uh, in New England. Except what's what drives the morality is different. It's no longer Leviticus. It's now P equals 0.05, um, or you know, you didn't do a randomized controlled trial properly. So that bit didn't surprise me. I, in fact, I, I, I've seen this over the years. In fact, nothing surprised me, to be honest. To the extent that when I was told the next morning that I've been ratioed, I was like, you know, hilarious. I think that when you've got this kind of climate of self-righteousness, it's like a boil. It's like a, it's like hydroadenitis subjunctiva, with your axilla bulging with staph aureus pus, and you just need a little prick to release it. And when you have that little priest releases, and pus comes out, and that pus that you see is a self righteousness. 
that didn't, that didn't neither bothered me nor surprised me. I think for a lot of people that, and, uh, and John says that we're, he doesn't consider himself an expert on social media. I am an expert on social media. I know exactly how the reaction is going to be. And I, when I prick, I do it with the intention of getting that reaction. A year ago, I put down a tweet about if you're a intern and you see something on a chest x-ray that the radiology doesn't, uh, then it's probably, it's probably not there. It's like, you know, pretty simple base. And every reaction that I got, I was like, yes, I knew it was going to come. So you could say that I am a troll, and I'm, I am one, and I'm proud to be one. I think for the younger people, and there were several of them watching, they were scared. For the younger people, they were most scared about the physician scientist from wherever. I'm not going to name her name because that kind of negates what I'm trying to say over here. She tagged my employer. She didn't tag my employer so that I could set my GPS and get to work well. She tagged my employer to get me into trouble. To get me into trouble, maybe get me even fired, put my kids on the street <laughs> without health insurance, stuff like that. Because in her mind, this was a noble cause. And this is what self-righteousness does. It makes you a very, very mean person. Because you think deep down, this guy is an asshole. And if I can get him out, I'm doing a net good to the world. This is the mentality that you have some of the most nasty people, just as they were at the time of, you know, the Puritans in uh, New England, are the people that are the most religious, the most sanctimonious, the most self-righteous. Again, that didn't surprise me, but it does, it does surprise me. It doesn't in, in a way bother me either. Uh, I mean, I think the way to handle these people well, we is gonna, a parody. No, no, don't, don't give the solutions yet. But it does bother a lot of younger people who think, shit, I am not touching this medium. Right. With a barge ball. This medium has a lot of tail risk, and it does. And we can discuss this with John, but I really wish he hadn't apologized. Well, explained I'm going gonna, gonna to talk because you both, again, that's part of the reason I wanted to have you both, because you both had a different reaction, actually. And I think uh, I even... Uh, you know, I think John recalls, I reached out to him. I said, you know, this, this is not something you should apologize on and, and so forth. But uh, John, uh, you know, we, we talked about a couple of the reactions that uh, Sarab had. You had a similar one. I'm going to just specifically single one out. And I'm going to actually read it to you, uh, as painful as it is. But because um, it goes to the fact of the dialogue that you mentioned. Somebody thought of your tweet as follows, that the, the ridiculousness that an American doctor on August 23rd, 2020, thinks healthcare professionals shouldn't engage in, a political, in political advocacy. It must be some privilege not to see COVID patients, racial inequities in the workplace, or people suffering bad policies, or just ignorance. We need to do a better job screening out people who are this selfish, and aloof, because our patients deserve better. I mean, you got when when you read this, you got. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it to be honest. I mean, I know you, <laughs> like I couldn't believe what I was reading. Tell me, take me through. I mean, what wh what do you what do you do when you see something like this? Well, I've been reading and I listen to podcasts that talk about cancel culture. I read Jonathan Haidt's book. And, and I'm very intrigued by this because as a doctor, I'm, you know, one of the things that makes being a doctor so fun is human nature and, and trying to take care of humans. And, you know, when I read this, I'm just like, wow, this is, this is real. I mean, cause if, if you read Jonathan Haidt's book, if you read, you know, listen to podcasts that discuss this, and it doesn't affect you. It's, it doesn't seem real, but then, when some person who doesn't know you from Adam, I mean, he really, uh, he really doesn't says this. I mean, it just, it just brought it. it I mean, it, it, it made it real for me. And I thought, Oh, wow, this, this is something. And then, I mean, it, you read the most 
you know, outlandish one, but there were just so many that just assumed that I don't care about social determinants or they're not relevant or whatever. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm used to writing, you know, columns and I'm used to podcasts and I'm used to giving lectures and having debates and it all seems above board and, and, you know, on the merits, but this was, um, this was different. So, yeah, my reaction was to my reaction to that, though, seriously, is that, okay, if we were working together in a hospital, if, if that person was with me, and, and he knew me, and I knew him, and I can't remember if he was an ER doc or whatever, or EM doc, I bet that, you know, we could work together, and we could see eye to eye for patient care, and that we could see a patient who you know, had poor social determinants and we could agree that it was a problem and that in real life we would be fine. It was just the medium that was the problem. So I, I don't know. I hopelessly cling to the naive view that some of these more outlandish experiences are not representative, but I could be wrong. So Rob, your, re your both reactions uh, to the same issue um, were a little bit different. I mean, I think we, you know, John's reaction was a little bit mild-mannered. And in fact, he, like you mentioned, he apologized. We'll go through over what led him to do that in terms of this, because sometimes maybe it's too difficult to fight the tide. Your reaction was the opposite. You made fun of some and you, sometimes you responded, sometimes you didn't. And uh, I think sometimes you played along in all of these things. I'm curious when you analyze your own response and John's response. I mean, how, I mean, again, you both face the same issue. What's the proper way to respond to this? Do you think John did the right thing? Do you think you did the right thing? Do you think? No, I don't think John did the right thing. So tell me, tell me what you think. Okay, I, I think. I think the problem that you have over here is that you've got a bunch of people and they have misrepresented you. But, they, but what they've done is either employed lazy thinking or dishonest thinking. And whatever it is, it's not important. You can, well, the moment you apologize to them, the more you apologize to them, the stronger they grow, the more emboldened they feel. And you can never, you can never really apologize to somebody. If somebody wants to think the less of you, the more you apologize to them, the more they're going to say, oh, look, he wasn't sincere in his apology. Oh, yes, but he's only saying this because we made this public. You just simply say, fuck off, quite honestly. And you, um, so my approach was to make a joke out of them. And quite honestly, I had a lot of people on my side. I don't think I could have achieved on my own. And the biggest people I had on my side were my colleagues from Britain who were just laughing their heads off. I mean, they just couldn't control themselves. They were thinking, saying, look at American academia. Not only are these guys idiots for electing Donald Trump, but they're also idiots because they can't get a joke. So I had them on my side. I had one guy from uh, University of Michigan, some public, and he said, you must be really proud of yourself because of your professionalism. I said, look, mate, I would stop if I were you because people are laughing at you. Bear that in mind. And that was my approach because I think that you cannot, you, 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 these, are, these are people that are, to consider the 1% of society, not in terms of wealth, but in terms of intelligence. If you can't get it, then you need to be ridiculed. So John, you decided, so you decided not to ridicule them. Uh, and you actually, in a couple of tweets, I thought you were uh, way too nice. Uh, uh, and you did apologize to a couple of them. A, why did you do that? And B, uh, would you do it now after a week now has passed by? Would you still apologize? Or do you think now you feel you probably were too nice in your response? I, I mean, I don't know, um, Chadi. I just, I, I just am hopeful and maybe, you know, naively hopeful that people mean well and that they're, and that, you know, this is a, Kind of a swing that uh, the, the pendulum is swung, but will 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 come back, and and that you know things will be better. I also hope that persuasion persuasion can work, and I, I yeah I I just you know went from the went from the gut, and I thought okay if this many people feel this way, then you know maybe there's maybe there's maybe there's something to it. Yeah, it's just it's just how I felt like was the right thing to do. Okay, for instance, 
I've spent the last five to six years, you know, writing and, and speaking and just trying to use persuasion and logical arguments. And I just think that this is the way forward, not, you know, n not these sort of lazy thinking and, and, and dishonest thinking. So that's the approach. That's the approach I take. I disagree with John. Go ahead. Uh, that John is a good guy or not is irrelevant. The fact is that for him to have raised the point of the involvement of politics or not, that particular point doesn't make him a moral reprobate. And that is the point. You know, in a, in, in a lot of ways, what John does, whether he cooks rabbits or whether he hugs dogs, I really don't give a flying shit. The major point here is that in and of itself, his questioning the role of physicians in the political amphitheater doesn't make him inherently evil. So his defending himself and every other person that defended him, saying he's a nice guy, I vouch for it, he cares for people, that's irrelevant. And the more you do that, the more you make the whole questioning seem to have some sort of logical base. Now, you, you take yourself, Charlie. If you, for example, were espoused a view, let's say, for example, that the vaccine can come over here without phase three trials, and people said, this guy's from Syria, he could be with ISIS, that view in and of itself doesn't make you a moral cripple, right? That view is a view that may very well be wrong, but it's got nothing to do with your morality. So how you are with your kids, if you then post a picture with a wife and two kids and a dog and Sunday walking them and saying, look, now this is the problem with American society. There's too much emphasis on sincerity and all that does, it creates dishonesty. It creates the same level of sophistry that you had in the 18th century with the pardoners. It creates intellectual dishonesty and it creates farcical farce that needs to be euthanized. John may or may not be a white supremacist. I don't know that. But his questioning, the politics and the involvement doesn't budge me one way or the, or the other. To quote, to, to paraphrase a Bayesian concept, it's conditionally independent. And that needs to be emphasized. But his apology made things worse. But can I ask you a question, Osirab? Listen, um, do not, don't you think that, we, we both are fans of Nassim Taleb, and I, I just think his views are incredibly important, especially for his physicians. But don't you think his sort of confrontational and caustic nature take away from the argument, and that I'm all against, I'm all against policing tone. I think it's overrated. My editors disagree. They think tone is important. I think it's overrated. But, but to a certain extent, don't you think that that sort of, I don't know, just but, but it, it strong will build takes away from the argument? Well, it depends what you want from Nassim Taleb. If you want to, you know, if you want him, if you think he's some sort of warm, fuzzy teddy bear, then obviously yes. But if you take what I take from him, which is just the priceless intellect, when you distill it down, when you sediment it down, then what he's like and how he conveys it doesn't detract from what he's conveying. So his epistemology, so to speak, is independent of his personality. Now, I do agree that there are ways that you can make your point better, but the point in and of itself doesn't make you morally less moral. Meaning that people started looking into you, your practice. I mean, I actually made a joke about your electrophysiology practice, but I hope the idiots got it that I was joking. And even if they didn't, that's kind of funny. But what you're like, John, in your private life has no bearing whatsoever in the view that you expressed. And that's the key point. And to start justifying that he's a good guy or, you know, he really cares about patients or 
you know, he's against overdiagnosis. You know, one of the things that you and I got you and I to be friends was that we were on the same intellectual side with Scrabenick and all of that. But that's irrelevant. That's utterly irrelevant to your particular point. And to start bringing it up weakens. In fact, it goes into their place to their crowd. It, it means that, oh, you were right about his potential moral problem with that view. But let me just reassure you that he's not like that. He's not that bad. He's a nice guy. He's got a good family. I know he's a Republican, not you personally, but this is what people say. But his heart's in the right place. Surab, Surab, but can't you, I mean, I mean, there are, when you're faced sometimes with a huge backlash for whatever you necessarily do, you have to choose. Either you are going to fight the fight or you say, you know what, I just don't have the time, energy and bandwidth to argue, especially with folks that are never going to level set with you and see eye to eye. I mean, you could, you could keep arguing until the sun rises from the West and nobody's going to see what you are trying to say. So at some point you say, okay, I'm just done. I'm sorry I said this. I'll move on because we're never going to reach that common ground. So John, is that what went through your head? Like, you know, it's not, it's, it's, you're never going to convince them. They're not going to convince you. You may as well just sorry and move on. Well, I don't know. I would, I would push back somewhat. I understand Sarab's point. And I think it's a really important point that we, that the merits of an argument ought to be, that ought to be the argument, not who's making it. I totally understand that. But as a cardiologist, as a doctor, a private practitioner, I, I sort of live in a pragmatic world and, and pragmatism comes into play. And I wish that we were all uh, totally rationalist people that could just see, a, see an argument. Like we could see an argument for its logic, but in reality, it's, it's, it's not that way. And I just, uh, I have this potentially wrong a gut feeling that people are persuadable and gosh I hope they are because if not we're really screwed and so many of the people that replied to me were were young people and I just thought to myself okay you know they just have different views and in a different environment and um, maybe I should listen to them because I might learn something because we always learn something from young people um, and so that was just the view I take I guess, finally, short, I mean, I've grown in the last 10 years of my life as a doctor, you know, more and more humble. I went through a phase where I just thought clinical medicine was easy. I had things figured out. But more and more, the more I think about medicine, the more I realize how little I know. And so I sort of took that view with these people who um, uh, reacted to, to my tweet. Yeah, so I'm going to push back against just to kind of decompose what he's saying a little bit. Um, I know that, Charlie, your intention might not have been for me and John to be arguing about this point, but uh, I'm still going to do that. So I don't think people necessarily need to be persuadable. And the fact that people aren't isn't necessarily a bad thing. There are always going to be chasms, impasses, Zones that you will never agree on. Uh, let me give you an example. So uh, I went to medical school in London. And I went to medical school that had lots of Indians that had lots of Pakistanis. Rather, people of Indian and Pakistani origin. And I, was, I had many Pakistani friends. We had lots in common, uh, notably language. Uh, that's the most common thing that you had. Um, food, uh, Bollywood. Uh, culture, lots of similarities, cricket. But we had one other thing that we disagreed on, Kashmir. Their view on Kashmir was diametrically opposite to mine. I never convinced them that I was right on Kashmir. And they never convinced me that they were right on Kashmir. But what we convinced each other was that just because we have divergent views on Kashmir doesn't make either of us reprobates. So it's okay to disagree. It's okay to never agree. It's okay never to be persuaded. What's not okay is if you have somebody that is very similar to you, that just has a very different opinion, 
one is your opinion that's different to yours on a certain policy on a certain matter for you to think that this person has all evil associated with him and the other person that has all good associated with him that's my problem over here it isn't that you were not able to persuade some of the more sanctimonious physicians that came on board including that er physicians whose name i forget it's the fact that he thought that you were a moral reprobate if he simply said hey look this guy is an idiot that's fine he said this guy is not an idiot this guy has some morality issues yeah i mean he that's said that's a problem that's a problem yeah yeah i mean i can see that point it's not like he said I disagree with him and this is why he basically said you're immoral you're really a disgrace to society let me give you an example I'm not as funny as Sarab but I tried to be funny in a tweet I said I tweeted three days ago I said I just saw a Republican wearing a mask then I bumped into a Democrat not wearing a mask I was shocked and petrified I couldn't tell where I was living anymore is it an apocalypse and I thought this is like funny because we talk about Republicans not wearing masks. I thought it being like humorous, but you know, and then I got a response. It is America. It's the freedom to choose political party aside. I can't even a joke anymore. John, help me out. Well, I think it gets to, don't you think that is part and parcel of why Saurabh's tweet about, about COVID came to be? I mean, it's just such a, a, a polarized thing. And again, in my naivete, I think that why would a virus, but why would a virus be uh, so polarizing? Uh, it's just it, it's mind-boggling, and I think that open debate and and liberal debate is is what we need. And uh, yeah, it just it's 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 um, it's 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 problematic. So Rob was mad at me when I tried to explain this was a joke. So Rob, <laughs> tell me why you were mad. Yeah, because that. To be the whole purpose of it, if you're going to say it's a joke, you're justifying yourself. You should have doubled down. Uh, and this is the problem. I mean, you cannot tolerate idiots. Idiots should have, you know, we should have a zero tolerance for idiots. And I realize the irony of what I'm saying over here. In a sense, I'm saying be more tolerant. And in order to be more tolerant, you need to be intolerant of intolerance. And someone to say, hey, yeah, you know, but I accept that. See, the thing is this, as I said before, and you know, I think a lot of people are going about this in the wrong manner. People like, uh, you know, the, the guy who wrote Righteous Indignation and, and, and John, they want respect. They want respect and they want mutual respect and they want, you know, a bear hug. And I'm saying it's okay to have vociferous disagreements. What's the difference? There's a big difference between that and being self-righteous sanctimonious thinking one of you is going to go to hellfire which of course there's no hellfire the the modern rationalistic version of hellfire is being cancelled and getting rid of your job i mean that's wrong you've got to draw the line there and when this happens on twitter the response should be ridicule parody you should not you know i, I i'm going to mention something um, back I, I, I don't want to make any analogies with, with um, the 1930s and fascism and Marxism because I was making point, Godwin's for maybe I've just done that. But when Charlie Chaplin, you know, he made fun of the Nazis because he was a really funny guy. Comedians can do that. They can, they're much more powerful than sanctimonious people. When Charlie Chaplin made fun of the Nazis. Um, there's the story about the Nazi saying that he is, you know, he's Jewish and let's go after him. And Charlie Chaplin never said, I'm not Jewish. He said, yeah, think whatever you want to think. Because ultimately, if you're going to hate me by a certain label, so when people say, ever accuse me of being a certain thing, like being a, uh, I've been accused of being a right-wing Hindu because of supporting Kashmir, or India's policy in Kashmir, or being a bit more broader in the Kashmir thing. I never say, oh, I'm not one. I mean, I could say that, hey, look, I used to be a Marxist when I was at university. I'm about as atheist as you would get. I think I hate religion. I don't say that. Because I'm saying, yeah, think, think the worst of me. 
Think whatever you want to think. You want to think that I'm a conservative? Think it. Okay. You so, want to think. So the point is, the moment you start justifying yourself and defending yourself, I'm not this, you are giving license to people using that label in a derogatory manner. And I am really proud of Muslims who never let their theistic identity down in order to defend themselves against accusations of supporting terrorism. I've written about this. Okay, so uh, I have a couple of more questions because I wanna to try to find a path forward. First of all, to both of you, John, I start with you. Have we always had this and somehow it surfaced because maybe I've been, I don't know, maybe my head has been in the sand. I haven't seen really the way things have transformed. I don't know what happened, but I can tell you, I joined Twitter in 2013. I'm looking here, you joined Twitter in 2010. It hasn't been like this. Something, I, I can't really tell, but I believe something over the past couple of years where there's a little bit of a different shift. Help me understand, do you think something has changed or has it been always the case and I just been completely blind? No, I think it's worse now. I think the political polarization is worse and I think it reflects society. Although early on, Chadi, I did tweet something political. I can't remember what it was. And a number of people pushed back and they just said, you know, I mean, this isn't really what, you know, medical Twitter was. And I, I kind of got away from that. And um, now I do think it's worse. And the, the thing, the thing that another thing that you haven't brought up that was sort of you know sort of touched on was that some of the people were who responded to my tweet were triggered by the fact that I had medical conservative in my uh, in my bio and they didn't read I mean we it, I have a hyperlink to the American you know American Journal of Medicine article that we wrote about medical conservatism which is completely not about uh, approach to policy or politics. It was just an approach to being a good doctor and being skeptical about evidence. But I, I, I think that was evidence that it's a polarized world and that the, how could the word conservatism trigger someone? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a policy, it's a, an approach and it's an argument. So I do think things are more polarized uh, now than it was. So Rob, do you think it's been always the case or something like, do you think it's just the current political climate is making it surface more? What, what are your thoughts? Well, I think there are a couple of things that play there. The first is that Twitter became much more self-righteous and sanctimonious when it was invaded by academics. The worst thing that could have happened to Twitter was that academics joined it and they joined it in drove. And that made the whole thing much more rigorous, which meant that there was much more opportunity to quibble about things that appeared not to be in rigor. Uh, that was one problem. The second problem, the second issue is that both John and me, although to varying degrees, we have had more followers than we did in 2013. So now when I say something, instantly I get about, you know, a bunch of likes, retweets and comments. So to quote, uh, to quote, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, those who live by the sword die by it too. So if you live by Twitter, and Twitter has given me a certain amount of notoriety that I don't think I would have gotten otherwise, uh, one dies by it too. So it's, 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 it's a risk that is inbuilt in the system. The system's success is what it's also part of its destruction. And so if you have those who have been raised by Twitter to, to uh, heights that they didn't deserve will also be crushed by Twitter to deaths that they didn't deserve. And that's just the part of part and parcel of life. And you have to accept that. You have to accept that risk if you're going to go on it. As far as polarization is concerned, I think there are two elements of polarization. There's one element is the polarization itself. And certainly the 45th president hasn't helped matters in that regard. But the second element of polarization is what leave what you don't touch, what you don't push back on. A lot of this is what is pushed back on. One of the reasons why I pushed back with, you know, with, with even more jokiness or unfunniness was that if you don't push back, then people will think, people will prevail. 
you have to push back. And if you don't push back, then it's going to be even more difficult to push back later on. And so you so you've got a polarized society, but you've also got a an extreme one-sidedness where certain tweets go unchallenged and certain don't. And uh, and it depends on the uh, vector of the particular tweet. Rob, it's beyond Twitter. It's not just tweets, right? Sometimes like, there was a paper on affirmative action that got retracted. Like you can't have really a lot of debates on certain big topics where we should have a debate. I mean, really, I mean, it doesn't mean that it's bad. We're bad people if we're debating an important thing. So I think the affirmative action paper was, you know, was an actual paper that had to be retracted and issued an apology and. So it's not just Twitter, I think. Would you agree? Well, well, well the t- Twitter is the amphitheater of what's actually happening in the broader world. I mean, I know a lot of people say, don't judge the rest of the world by Twitter. But I think you can, you can judge the American medical academic zeitgeist by Twitter. Mm-hmm. So Twitter is not a blind, blind alley. It's not like the dark side of the moon. Like, tells you nothing about the moon. It does tell you something. It doesn't tell you everything, but it tells you something. It tells you something significant. With, 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 regards, to, with regards to what's what you have is you have an asymmetry over here. And that asymmetry is like Godzilla, you know, it kind of uh, fuels itself. The actual asymmetry it discourages people because there's asymmetry. But if you broke it down, if you ridiculed it and if you fought back and if people people are very scared to even like a tweet because when you like a tweet you know who's liked it so people are very scared of that and that gets down to uh, who's going to be the first person to put the bell around the cat and it's always that's the person that's going to be least you, likely to do it do you think sir that that twitter is representative of academia uh, medical academia. You're in academia. I'm. I'm not. But I wonder whether there's a whether there's a silent group who who aren't on Twitter or who who don't agree but are just afraid to speak up. Yeah. So the the thing about the silent group uh, and Milton Friedman has written a lot about this is that it's in democracy it's the vociferous one that gets shit done because they're motivated and they bandy together and that's why lobbyists and special interest groups achieve much more and so the silent majority is you know silent so when you look at the vector of the opinion meaning the stuff that gets said that gets said in the journals that gets said in the new york times the atlantic and other papers that are broader outreaches of the major journals uh, then, then what's expressed on Twitter is, is is actually quite representative of that. Now, in academia, there's a lot of people that will just do their work and go home, but they're not necessarily the people that are voicing their opinions in the New York Times. That's molding the public perception of things, and people that do that, Twitter is a fair reflection of that particular voice. I want to, I mean, I know you've been generous with your time. We have maybe just maybe another five minutes. I want to try to have both of you try to design a path forward. I think we probably spent a lot of time dissecting the problem. I believe listeners can go back and and follow you and see these tweets to get more understanding. But uh, we hopefully highlighted the problem and got the opinion. I'd like to know what the path forward is and what does next year look like? How, How relevant is the path forward honestly, to the presidential election. I mean, this can't be just Donald Trump or Joe Biden problem. At least I don't think it is. I don't believe if Joe Biden wins, things get better. If Donald Trump wins, things get worse on Twitter and how the people react. At least that's my belief. But uh, uh, John, what's the path forward? And then Saurabh, what's the path forward? Well, Chadi, it would be crazy for me to try and make a political solutions for this time we're in. But I can say... To speak to the medical community, one of the, one of the major things I write about is hubris and how hubris just, you know, is the most dangerous thing a doctor can come up against. And I guess that as a group, I would just kind of encourage my profession to 
be mindful of hubris and to realize that, you know, we don't have all of the solutions and that we, we just can't put our eggs in one basket and, and think that one policy is the best policy to improve societal's ills. It doesn't mean that we, we can't make arguments, but I, I just would, the path forward for me, for physicians, is just to be more humble and be more mindful of hubris and to really enjoy what we do in the world. I, I mentioned it on Anisha's podcast, but imagine, Chadi, what I would tell medical students if I had the chance is imagine if you were a, I mean, I see, I don't know, 30 patients a day, 300 days a year. I see a lot of patients over the years, thousands and thousands. Imagine if I was 0.1% better doctor, how much better I could make the world. And so I just think that one of the ways that we can make the world a better place is to become better doctors and become better at treating people with disease. And that would be my message. And as far as societal ills, I mean, I, I, it would be crazy for me to try and give a solution. So Rob, as you answer this, uh, I, wanna, I want you to answer the same question, but I just, I was reminded by uh, something interesting. Four days after John tweeted his tweet, somebody else still was commenting on you. And <laughs> so Rob, in his usual humor self made me laugh because he says in one of his tweets, the Mandrola gate continues. He had the hashtag Mandrola gate and I just bursted laughing when I read that. So you actually have a hashtag now, Mandrola gate. I can actually uh, look it up. <laughs> so Rob, path forward, you heard John, what, what's your path forward? In a sense, there's no path forward, and I wouldn't really avoid any of John's prescriptions, to be honest with you, because all of them imply that we're trying to make a world a better place, and we're all in this together, and there's some sort of combiner. What I would say to people is, chill out, seriously. <laughs> Do not let your levator and I, and people coxages, be in some sphincteric titanic construction. Chill the fuck out. Because you know, above us, as John Lennon said, there's only sky. There's no hellfire. There's no heaven. There's no reincarnation. Sorry, Hindus. There's just nothing. Just quarks and atom. We're on this planet. You don't know that. You don't know that. No, I know that. How do you know? Because, that? I, because, <laughs> I, I, because nobody has reincarnated and come back to me and told me <laughs> about 2020. So I'm pretty sure that there's no reincarnation, right? This is it. This is your one chance. Don't ruin it by being sanctimonious turds, all right? Chill the fuck out. Relax. If you think John or me were talking shit, call us an idiot. But don't, don't tag our employer. Now, nobody out here knows everything about everything. John's point about hubris is, is well taken, but nobody knows that. And, and all of these people, all these public health twits that say, oh, you know, you said this, you could have blood in your hand, chill the bloody fuck out. Seriously. All right. Nobody knows who has more blood on their hand, whether, what policy there is. And I, and I, and, and I, and I think that the more, the more we do that, the more we make fun out of people that don't chill the fuck out, the more we ridicule them, the better the world will be. The world will be a better place when sanctimonious twerps are made to look like dickheads, which is what John, they should be made John, you have a comment. No, I, 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 um, I do want to emphasize that much of my life as an AFib doctor is getting people to chill the F out. It is true because um, that, that, that is a laudable goal and that could very well imp improve matters. So, you know, I, 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 I concur with that thesis. Look, well, it's uh, I think uh, number five or number six time that Saurabh uh, comes on the show and he keeps trying to make it more difficult for me to <laughs> I keep doing it again. It's the second time that I get John. It's probably one of, uh, I'm very just uh, delighted that you were able to accommodate uh, a busy schedule. I know how busy uh, John is, so Rob does nothing, honestly. Uh, <laughs> in fact, you know, you know what Rob, would happen is, Rob, this what is, happen is I would get into a sanctimonious, self-righteous fit, telling you that you oncologists have become the bane of my existence with your stupid, racist, 
criteria. This is the highlight of your weekend. Let's just call a spade a spade here. Don't tell me you're doing anything on a Labor Day weekend. You've got no life. Come on. Yeah, I'm just measuring your bloody yes. lymph nodes and target organs. Basically, if it wasn't for oncologists, you'd be jobless, okay? Job security exists because we order CAT scans. So thank you very much. All right. Yeah. Uh, and, th and thanks to us, you keep giving them chemotherapy. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Um, I think it's uh, hopefully listeners uh, can, can really listen to this with an open mind and realize really that this is important to debate and talk about. And, you know, be careful with your tweets next time. You know, it's all your fault. Until next time. Okay, well, that was really interesting. I think it was um, unfiltered, raw, unexpected, expected, however you want to call it. I hope you enjoyed this dialogue, this discussion. I hope you enjoyed what both of my guests have to say, and please let me know what you think. You can send an email to shadinabhan00 at outlook.com or to cnabhan1968 at gmail.com. Let us know what you think about this episode and other episodes. Before I let you go, I'm going to leave you with a quote from Helen Keller. Although the world is full of suffering, it is also full of the overcoming of it. Till next time, take care of yourself.